All right. So, um, I just got off the plane yesterday morning because uh, our uh, West Papua team came back from Indonesia yesterday. Uh, we had a team of 14, uh, very uh, wonderfully gifted, unique, wonderfully humorous team. Uh, we had a wonderful time uh, out in West Papua, uh, which is um, the second largest island in the world. Uh, the whole Papua New Guinea, West Papua, makes up the second largest island in the world. And we did a, a lot of ministry there, and uh, we saw some amazing things. Uh, before I share a little bit about that, uh, you, you guys want to hear about that, right? Yeah? <laughs> uh, I just want to honor all the, the leaders. Uh, we had our sister, um, Caleb, I mean, our brother, Caleb. Our brother Caleb led the Jakarta team. Uh, Caleb, could you stand for a moment? Let's honor Caleb. Uh, he, he led a team of about 13 people uh, that were there in Jakarta. Uh, and they saw some uh, pretty cool things and uh, was ministering at different places that the Lord sent them to. They even went to a, a place where people were, who were healed from leprosy, old people that were healed from leprosy. They got to minister to them. Um, we also have our China team, led by our sister Megan. They're still in the, in the missions field. They'll be returning tomorrow morning. And uh, so I just want to uh, honor uh, our sister Megan. Although she's not here, she might listen to this. So uh, let's honor Megan. And uh, we had our sister Lisa, who's at our ET1 church plant. Uh, she led our West Papua team. And she did a fabulous job just being led prophetically. She was on fire. Like every moment she lifted up, uh, every moment she opened her mouth, she would do this uh, introduction for our teams. She would always do it with so much fire. It was just like so in your face. It was just like she always start with shalom. And everyone would be like, shalom. Shalom. And everyone would say, shalom. And she'd go, shalom. It was like this um, Tarzan thing. Hey, hey, let me get the timer. Hey, Sarah. Sarah, let me get the timer going. All right, and um, and so yeah, she did it. She just led our team with great fire. Let's honor our, our sister Lisa. And I also want to honor all the preachers that preached on both uh, all three teams. Uh, Brother Marcus on the China team. Uh, we had uh, Caleb, Myunghua, and Aaron got to preach for Jakarta team, and then. Um, at West Papua, we had uh, John preach the message, Lisa preached the message, and then I preached the rest of the messages. But we had almost half the team share their testimonies. Yeah, we had uh, Cassie started off, our 16-year-old team member. And she uh, gave this uh, wonderful testimony. Then our sister Janae got to share her testimony. People just really stepped it up, and, uh, and, and they just did a fabulous job. Let's just honor everyone who got to uh, really <laughs> preach the word. I heard that uh, Jakarta, they had um, uh, maybe smaller uh, revival meetings. Uh, each meeting that they went to, they didn't have too many people gathered yet. But um, uh, they got to go and bless uh, each of the places. They brought some deliverance. They saw some physical healing. Um, my wife, Erin, got to preach a message uh, to 300,000 people on uh, Indonesia's Christian radio station. And, uh, and I heard they introduced my wife as, uh, 
this is uh, Aaron Caleb's wife. And I just rebuked the devil for those lies. Well, they got to, they got to, she got to preach and even did some Q&A with the Indonesians that called in. Uh, they got to reach 300,000 people. I heard Myungwa preach uh, half the messages while during the trip. And I just heard that a lot of fire was falling, especially on the youth whenever Myungwa preached. I'm just very proud of Myungwa for uh, doing an awesome job and stepping out in her calling. Um, uh, China team, they're kind of doing more of a vision trip. And so they'll be wrapping up their, their time today. But um, I heard uh, the government was kind of cracking down in some parts that they went to. And so they had, uh, they kind of started off with a good, like, revival meeting where they saw some uh, people getting healed and people getting hit with fire. Uh, but the rest of the time, it's been kind of like a warfare and just kind of more investigating and observing what God is doing in China. And uh, we know that prophecy that we got a couple of weeks ago about uh, the House of um, Living uh, Hope, Pastor Benjamin Robinson's uh, church, and our church, New Philadelphia, kind of being brought together like a bow and arrow as one, taking two weapons of warfare, becoming one. And uh, uh, we, uh, the vision, in the vision, the arrow was shot into China. And so we believe that there's uh, more work that God's going to do through our church and in partnership with uh, Living, uh, Living Hope to go together to China to see some incredible work and ministry there in China. So uh, we're really looking forward to it. And we, saw, we see this uh, team as more like a scouting team to really scout out what the Lord is doing there and make some connections. Um, to share about the team that I was part of, West Papua, uh, we saw some pretty incredible things. Um, back in February of this year, we sent out two teams, one to Philippines and one to India. And both teams came back because we were contending a lot for physical healings. Both teams in February came back with about 40 plus healings, physical healings that they were able to verify. And they were able to see people raise their hands and, and say that they were healed. And so we saw about 40 plus on both teams. Uh, on this West Papua team... Uh, we saw, in one week, we saw over a hundred physical healings take place. Oh, let's praise the Lord for that. In one service, we saw over 55 physical healings. So that, that one service, like, really just kind of, it was like most of the people in there got healed or something. And, uh, and, and, and then we had them come up and share the testimonies on the mic. And, uh, for the, you know, it's kind of rare because we've been on past trips and whenever people get healed, they're like, kind of like, they have no expression. They're kind of expressionless and emotionless when they share. But this time in West Papua, they were all joyful and one guy he got healed in his knee and he was doing this. He was like, yeah! <laughs> and it was, we got it on video and hopefully, uh, Diddy will get to share that video in the future. But uh, yeah, it was just so beautiful and amazing. We saw 23 uh, salvations. Uh, we saw um, people coming forward at one church service. The Lord was delivering them from witchcraft. And we saw about like, like a dozen people coming up to repent and renounce of witchcraft. Uh, and uh, the Lord was just doing an amazing work. Uh, there was this uh, one guy that accompanied us as a translator. His name was Yusuf. I think the <clears throat> thing with West Papua is... Everybody who's like a native West Papuan, they, they look black. Okay, they have nappy hair, black skin. All right, they, they look black. And this guy Yusuf, man, he just, he, he, he was from the mountains, like the bush bush. And um, he was part of our team as a translator, and he would translate all of the testimonies. Hey, where's my water? Get me my water right now. 
Come on. I'm gone one week. Service team is sleeping on the job. Come on. All right, now I know your service team. Just hurry up. All right. Um, and so this guy, Yusuf, um, when we met him, he would join us in prayer meetings. And whenever we praise, you know, he'd be sitting there. He'd eat with us. Uh, but we noticed that he was just like, he was just like spiritually apathetic. Like when we would pray, he would just be like daydreaming. And he just like lost. He just, he was not, un- he was very uninterested in the things of God. And uh, what happened was um, on a couple of the days, our brother David, Diddy, really loved on, thank you, li- really loved on our brother Yusuf. And just like, you know, I try to love on him. And uh, I kind of grew impatient because his, his accent is kind of thick. So, you know, I'd be like, how's it going, Yusuf? Well, what's going on? How many brothers you got? And then, you know, he'd be like, I've done, no, no, no. And I, I'd be like, what? How many, brother, how many brothers you got? And then he'll say something. And I just, I, I just didn't have the patience to really be able to love on him. But our brother Diddy, like, really took the patience to just love on him, hear his story. And just, uh, he also, we went to this, one day we had an off day where we just kind of relaxed. And went into this crystal clear blue waters of an island called Gospel Island. It's where the gospel first arrived in West Papua through some European missionaries. And uh, it was just uh, beautiful water. We got to swim there. We got to relax. And during that day, um, Yusuf had to watch our stuff. And Brother Diddy took the initiative to give him his iPod and turned on Jesus culture. And so we went around touring the island. And we, when we came back, Yusuf is like singing Jesus culture. Like, like you know. <laughs> Oh, consuming fire. I don't know. He was just like singing along and he was like, like, like really receiving the love and the blessings and joy that Diddy was pouring out on him. Well, later that same day after Gospel Island, our sister Lisa, she initiated a time of prayer for him. And we just kind of asked him, you know, is there something that you have physical healing that you need or something like that? And he shared that he had a heart condition and that he had fell out of a tree. And coughed up all this blood. And so since then, his heart has been kind of irregular and, and beating irregularly. And so uh, we started to pray for him. And, uh, and then Brady came, whispered in my ear, I think you should anoint him with oil. And so we went and got the oil and uh, we just prayed for him. And then uh, as we're praying for him, like, like he just looks like kind of like, you know, like, like the same look he had on his face. All of a sudden, he goes like this. He goes like that. And he goes like this. And it goes, oh, like this. And he's like frozen in this position. Uh, and so I took a picture of him. <laughs> I don't know why. I just took a picture of him. <clears throat> and, uh, and then uh, brother, uh, Pastor John Newfell woke him up a little bit later because he was gone. Like, he was like out. After we're done praying, he was still like frozen. And so he finally wakes him up. And Yusuf is like, oh, 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 where am I? <laughs> and Pastor John's like explaining, oh, we just pray for you. And uh, it looked like the Holy Spirit hit you real hard. And uh, looked like you were in a trance or a vision. What did you see? And he's like, oh, where am I? And he, could, and, he, and he said that he felt like he was gone for about two to three days. He felt like two to three days had lapsed. Because he went into this vision and trance. Where God like, started like, reaching out his hand and grabbed his heart or something like that. All right, we didn't get all the details because his accent was so thick. All right, but something about God like massaging his heart and he healed his heart or something. But he felt like at one point, like his heart was taken out and he thought he was dead. But then God kind of restored life back into him, something like that. I don't know. All we know is after that night, 
the very next day, we're like praising and having some prayer time before we go out to the revival. And Yusuf is like praying and he's lifting his hands. And then when we do altar ministry, I just felt like the Lord was like, get Yusuf to start praying for people. So I said, Yusuf, come here. Come here. I want you to pray for those young kids right there. And he goes over there and starts to pray for people. And then these girls start crying. And he's like praying with all this passion. And we could see that clearly that he was hit with the fire of God. It was healed and just hit with the fire of God. And so he was just so full of um, life after that. It was just an amazing uh, testimony. Uh, Not just to the people we minister to, but to the people that were even accompanying us. And I really think Diddy kind of set him up for that by just loving on him, you know. Doused him with the kerosene of love. And then when the fire came, man, it lit it up, you know. And he, he was just, uh, just amazingly uh, just transformed. Uh, we had another guy at an altar call for forgiveness. And uh, this young gentleman uh, came up. Uh, and uh, we're just praying for him. And our brother Doug was praying for him. And the homeboy just went down under the fire, fire of God. He just went down. He just fell on the ground. And he starts, ah, ah, ah. He's just like, like kind of convulsing and stuff. Nobody else was like really falling down in the power of God that night. But this guy goes down. And then later on, we hear his story. And uh, what he had, why he had come up to the altar was he was coming up to forgive the guy who murdered his best friend. And, uh, and during that altar call, there was just like a, like a warfare going on. And, he's, and, he's, and he heard these voices telling him not to do it. You got you to gotta stay angry. You got you to gotta go get those murderers and all that stuff. Um, but in that warfare, he was able to let go and release and forgive the murderer of his, of his good friend. And so, uh, you know, things like that, you know, it was just uh, really beautiful to see. Um, on the last service that we had in J- Indonesia, we were actually in Jakarta. We had one service in Jakarta before we flew back. And uh, there was a guy named Frankie there. And I noticed that while I was preaching, this guy was like eating it up. He was just like, he was just like, he couldn't help but nod. You know, you know, those people, you know, when, when the spirit of God's really speaking to you, like even if it's not a habit for you to nod, you're going to start nodding. And this guy was just like saying amen. Just he was like really nodding. I could, I could tell. And afterwards, I did an altar call. And I was like, people who, and I preached about the kingdom of God and how the kingdom of God comes with fire and with power. And, uh, and I asked anyone who wants to receive prayer for the baptism of the spirit to stand up. Well, everybody just kind of looks around and nobody stands up. Even the people that we know want to stand up, they just refuse to stand up. And what I found out later was Aaron preached at the same church. And when she did an altar call, same thing. Everybody wanted to come up, but nobody stood up. Right? And so uh, I was like, okay, that's not going to stop me. All right. <laughs> you don't want to stand up? All right, I'm going to make you stand up. Doug, go get that homeboy right there. Homeboy with the red shirt. Get him. Get him. Bring him up here. And then Doug, Doug is like, come on. Yes. And the guy's, guy's like, what? what? What are you doing? But he came forward and we had him stand with like four or five other people, right? And I go up to this guy, Frankie, and his name was Frankie. And I just started praying for him. And I didn't even touch him. Right? I was just praying for him. I just knew the fire of God was going to come along. Praying for him, and then I just, I just said, fire! Right there. I was pointing at his chest, and all of a sudden, boom, he, he goes down on the power of God. Right? And then he gets up, because he doesn't know what to do. He's like, what do I do now? <laughs> he starts, like, going back to his seat. <laughs> and he's sitting there, and then we're, we did a time for physical healing. So we're like, anyone who wants to receive physical healing, stand up. Well, by this time, you know, they, the people had seen some power manifestations at the altar. 
So people were a little bit more open. And so we had about three, four people stand up. One of them was Frankie. And so we, we uh, have everybody pray together and just say, everyone release the healing power of God. And so we took a time to pray maybe one or two minutes. And then we told people to check. And I say, if, if, if you check and it's all gone, you know, 80% or better, start, you know, waving your hands. Well, Frankie starts waving his hands because he had like head pain or something in his head. And it was completely gone. Well, during that first wave of prayer, there were two other people and they didn't receive the healing that they wanted. Uh, and one of them was a guy who had 20 years of knee pain. Just years and years of knee pain. And uh, this guy stood up the first time and didn't receive any healing at all. He didn't feel anything. Well, the second wave, I, I, we, I felt prompted to do another wave of healing. And so this time I told Frankie, I told, I told the team members from our team to come out of the crowd. And not to lay hands on anybody. And I just felt like the people, they needed to lo- lo- know and learn that the same power that our team has access to, they have access to. That it's not some career and celebrity ministers that have the special power to release healing, but it's Jesus who is healing through anyone who is willing to come in agreement with this, with this word. And so I told everyone to come out, and then uh, I had the people pray for each other. And these people, they were just, they were just looking around. Lay hands on your friend. Lay hands. I, I, just, I just wanted to go up there and like smack them. Because they would. They so can you show some love? Show some love to your neighbors. Lay hands on them right now. And eventually people started, okay, all right. They're praying, right? I kid you not. This one lady, she was not having it the whole time. She didn't like my message. She didn't like the altar call. She was not having it at all. She was like, and then finally, finally when, when, I, when she found it, she was like, I can't, that's the face she gave me as she was praying, laying hands on her friend. Anyway, I tell Frankie to go over to the uh, guy with the knee pain, right? I didn't even know he had knee pain, right? I just, I just knew he had something. And Frankie goes over and uh, I tell Frankie to pray and I tell everybody to pray. And I tell people who got healed just now, be sure that you lay hands because now that you receive your healing, you can heal others. All right, and so... I go over and, I, and I'm, we're praying for maybe a minute or two. And I see Frankie. And Frankie's like standing like, you know, three feet apart from the guy that he's praying for. So, you know, I just went over to Frankie's hand. And I just took his, I said, you need to lay hands, brother. You need to pray right now. And then I took his hand and I put it on the guy's left knee. I didn't know that that was where his problem was. Right. But I just, I just took his hand, put it on his left knee. Right. Frankie just starts praying, praying, praying. Everybody, all right, stop. Everybody, check your body. Who's healed? Who's healed? And then the uh, two people that were not healed the first time, the second time, they were 100% healed. All right, and so we had them come forward and share the testimony. And the one guy who had the knee pain, he had his knee pain on his left knee, is the exact knee that Frankie put his hand on. All right, I did not touch his knee, it was Frankie who prayed. All right, and so Frankie experienced what's called. The trifecta in the kingdom. All right. He got, the, he, he got hit with the fire. He got physical healing. And he healed somebody all on the same night. Hallelujah. It's the trifecta of the kingdom. It was beautiful though. Um, we just saw there's so many people uh, rejoicing and praising God. And even the lady that was like, like that. She later on, she insisted on us praying for her husband. Uh, because her husband had gotten into some accident or something, and he wanted, she wanted us to pray for her, pray for her husband. And so, you know, God was really opening up people's hearts, and uh, it was just a beautiful trip. Um, 
And uh, today, I just wanted to share with you guys one lesson that God taught me during this mission trip. Because I'm still a student. All right? I'm still a student of the greatest teacher that ever walked this earth. Right? Our, our, our teacher, our rabbi, Jesus. Right? And there was something that Jesus was teaching me uh, during this trip. And what he was teaching me was how to go out and minister as a son. And man, I, I, it's a lesson that I've learned before, but it's a lesson that during this trip, really, I, went, I felt like I went deeper in. And I had an experiential wisdom and revelation about this teaching. How to go out and minister as a son. See, brothers and sisters, when we begin to serve in the kingdom of God, when we begin to serve, we all begin as servants. And in the church, we use that term a lot. You know, I'm a servant of the Lord. You know, hey, you know, are you serving yet? You know, and it's, it's, we all begin as servants. But um, Jesus said, and even Jesus said, whoever wants to be greatest among you, you got to be servant to all. Right? And so we know that greatness in the kingdom comes through a servant's heart. That humble, willing, sacrificial, selfless heart is a servant's heart. And it's a beautiful thing in the kingdom of God. And uh, the Bible even says in Philippians chapter 2 that, uh, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant. Right, so even Jesus, when he walked this earth, he took on the nature of a servant. He took on the heart of servanthood. Now, in the kingdom of God, the heart of servanthood is indispensable. It's very, very important. But the more I serve, the more I realize that God wants me to carry the heart of a servant while accessing, 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 man. God wants me to carry the heart of a servant while walking in the identity of a son. Let me tell you something right now. Your identity... Is not as a servant. Do you guys know that? Your identity is as sons. God calls us to have the heart of a servant. But your identity is not as a servant. But in the church we mix this up. We don't, we don't quite get it. Romans 8.15. The passage you read today. right? God did not give you a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear. But he gives us the spirit of sonship. And by him we cry. Abba Father. God put his spirit in us, and the Bible calls it the spirit of sonship. Now, uh, when Jesus, when he began his public ministry, when he was baptized in the Jordan River and the Holy Spirit came upon him like a dove, the Bible says the voice from heaven came and said, what did the Father say? This is my beloved servant? No, right? It was, this is my beloved Son. Right. And um, I believe, you know, uh, you know, Sarah Yang, she wrote that book, Exodus, From Slavery to Sonship. And I really do believe that that's a, that's a movement that God is just, just sweeping across the earth. He's really bringing people out of just religion and just doing and having that slave mentality. We met a missionary in West Papua. 
This guy, man, I just wanted to say it like it is. But I'm just going to honor the guy. And uh, this guy was from a church in California. And this church is a little bit, very, a little bit, it's very religious. Very religious. Actually, uh, at one point, this church was slamming. The pastor of this church slammed the charismatic movement, wrote these books, calling it the charismatic movement, a demonic movement. It's all demons and people that are sensationalists and fanatics are, are leading this movement, all this stuff. And uh, this guy was from, sent out from that church to do missions in Africa. And he was actually traveling through Indonesia and doing some scouting stuff for future missions work that he was involved with. But anyway, it was so funny because when we met him, the way he talked, the spirit he carried, it was just so radically different from New Philadelphia Church. And the thing was, I understood him because that's where I used to be. You know, in my kind of reform background, I mean, I know how to do the talk that he was doing. He was very dogmatic. He, like, knew like how to say things and he knew what to say that was right he knew how to say all the right things but the spirit that he was carrying was like the slavery spirit and he and, and, and then and we asked him to pray for uh well we pray for him right and then he pray he was like oh let me pray for you guys and when he prayed for us instead of praying he was like teaching you know you know you know how people do you know instead of feeling like they're talking to god it just feels like they're trying to lecture you. Yeah, this guy's prayer the whole time was a big lecture about how terrible of sinners we are. Let us not forget that. Let us stay there always. And there's a, there's a teaching we need to stay at the foot of the cross and be humble. But this guy was, his all, whole thing was identity. Our identity is as, is as uh, sinners. Unworthy of anything, undeserving of anything. Yes, that's true. Yes, that's true. But that's all he kept talking about. Let us not forget that, Lord. Let us remember that. And, 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 you know, and it was just, anyway, it was just like a totally different spirit. And I, be, I believe that God is bringing people out of that slavery, right? Just like Sarah wrote that book. God's bringing his people out of slavery into sonship. But, you know, as Asian Americans, we take it and we turn it into from slavery, not to sonship. From slavery to servants. From slavery to servants. Because the Asian American culture is so performance driven. Our Confucian uh, influences have caused us to be so you know, academically minded as a virtue is to have all the degrees you can get in the world. You know, the virtue is to do everything you can and you work hard. And you eat that which you work hard for. And that's it. There's no space for grace in a lot of the Confucian virtues and, and doctrine. Right? And because Asian Americans, we've been so ingrained with these types of non-biblical, the, uh, non-biblical teachings that we've we taken the exodus from slavery to sonship. And we, we made this little detour from slavery to servanthood. And I realized that I'm also kind of did a little detour, did a little pit stop. Uh, and, and I just want to teach today and preach today to get you guys out of servanthood and into true sonship. Uh, you know, uh, back in February of 2009, we had two teams, one to Philippines, one to India. And we saw the fire of God fall with incredible power. And it was just so easy. I mean, I would just be preaching this terrible message, thinking, God, this is a terrible message. And the fire of God would start breaking out. And this one girl was just, she was breaking out in tongues, and she got all crying, ah! 
And I was like, whoa, all right, well, I guess I can stop preaching now. All right, we want to pray for people. You know, and people came forward, and they were all shaken up because fire of God fell. Um, and in the India and Philippines trip, we saw all that fire. In July of 2009, we also saw the fire fall in Myanmar. Incredible fire falling. You saw that on the videos. In Australia, man, just the fire of God was just falling, like boom, boom. It was just like easy at one point. You just go and you pray for someone, and boom, they just get hit with the fire of God. But during this trip, and I heard this was for Jakarta as well, but let me tell you right now, despite West Papua seeing over 100 healings, this was the same true of us. During this trip and in previous trips that we don't like to talk about. <laughs> I'll talk about Cambodia, com- summer of 09, the trip that you don't talk about. So we, we went and we, we served and we did the work, but we didn't see nothing. Uh, anyway, um, <clears throat> during, those tr- during this trip and in previous trips, we've also seen very little or very, s- very little supernatural ministry take place. And when you have tasted supernatural ministry, it's hard not to be disappointed when you just do ministry in the natural. Or what it looks like, like there's very few signs and wonders. You know, the signs and wonders point to something. It points to the fact that God's doing amazing work in their heart delivering them, healing them, and stuff like that. And the signs and wonders, you know, it makes you feel like, yeah, God's doing an amazing work. But when it's not there, you've got to use a lot more discernment to tell whether God's do- what God's doing. Right? But, but anyway, the, uh, this trip was kind of like that for me. And you see, I feel like God's trying to teach us about sonship. See, when you go out as a servant, you tend to go out as a worker, as an employee. And when a worker goes out and the supernatural doesn't take place, you feel like a failure because workers find their sense of worth on performance. But sons, on the other hand, they may get a bit disappointed, but they get over it quickly because they find their sense of worth in how intimate they are with the father. And what I've been realizing during this trip and in the, the previous couple of trips is I wasn't going out as a son. I kept going out as a servant. I kept going out as a worker. And so when the work wasn't up to the par that I wanted, I felt terrible. I felt terrible. And so I found that when I don't see the supernatural as strongly as I like, I tend to, this is a big confession, I tend to fall into an orphan spirit. You should hear the conversations that I have with the Lord in the back after a service. And, and nothing really happening. It doesn't look like anything's happening unless you're using a lot of discernment. You, know, you don't, and it looks like nothing's happening. I go in the back, you know, I have these conversations and I start saying, Lord, where are you? Lord, why, why are you abandoning me? Why are you dissing me, Lord? Why are you playing me like this? All right, and I just... I said, don't you love me, Lord? Right? And, and that's an orphan spirit. That's an orphan spirit. And, and then I began to think, wait. I must have not prepared enough. And then I start putting it on me. Or I start thinking, you know, maybe there was a demonic attack that I was unaware of. And, and it's true that nobody bats a thousand. And sometimes we do miss it. And that's the reason why the supernatural may not show up. Or that's why there may not be a powerful ministry time. 
But when you have those bases covered and you know 100% you haven't missed it, even then I have noticed over the past year that whenever God's anointing power gets withdrawn, I noticed that it wasn't because I missed it or because the team missed it. I noticed that sometimes the anointing power gets withdrawn on purpose. It seems like God's doing it on purpose. And I go back to my quiet time. I cover all my bases. And I just feel like God is saying, nothing. He's silent. Man, and that is such, and, and, when, and in my immaturity, man, that is just such, I just want to draw quick conclusions, you know. And I'm learning that God does this for various reasons. But one main reason that I've discovered that he does this, he does this when we get complacent with a pattern or method of doing ministry. I notice that I'll do the same thing over and over. The way I'll do the altar call will be kind of similar over and over and over again. And I notice that I will stop inquiring of the Lord as much as I used to in the very beginning when I started doing it. And I'll just kind of go into autopilot almost. And then when I hit that path, I notice that the anointing power just gets withdrawn. And I believe God does this because he doesn't want us depending on a method. He wants us dependent on him. Amen. He doesn't want us getting good at performing a particular method of ministry. He wants us to get good at hearing and obeying the voice of the Lord. Amen? And so these are the painful lessons God teaches us. And he does it by sometimes just lifting that anointing power that we are so used to carrying and flowing in. You see, when we get set in our patterns and methods, we tend to neglect our dependence on God. We tend to overlook inquiring and listening for the voice of the Lord. And that is not a good place to be. And the Bible says, God disciplines His sons. He's treating you as a son when He disciplines you because He disciplines those whom He loves. And when we get into that place of ministry, when we go in autopilot and we get stuck on methods and patterns, I believe God sometimes has given us a gentle discipline, gentle rebuke. To displace us from that complacency and bring us back into intimacy with him as sons. Those who go out as servants, they tend to focus on work, sacrifice, and methods. But this is not so for sons. Sons focus on intimacy, obedience, and the voice of the Lord. Galatians 3.26 says... You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. Turn to your neighbor, tell him, you are all sons of God. So sisters, repeat after me. We are all sons of God. All right. I was never good at being politically correct, so I don't try to be politically correct. 
No, I'm serious. I don't think I need to be because if you study the Bible and you study Hebrew culture, all right, when they're saying things like this, it meant inclusive of both genders. All right. And so when we say sons of God, we mean both sons and daughters. You know, but I don't like how the TNIV puts sons and adds and daughters. All right. It's not good. You don't want to add to the Bible things that aren't there. You just understand and you meet the Bible where it's at. And so you never hear me saying sons and daughters. All right. When I say sons of God, I mean every single one of you. We are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. And Galatians 4, 6 says, because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who cries out, Abba, Father. Right? Very similar to Romans eight fifteen, talking about the spirit of sonship that God gives us. You know, what causes a person to say, Abba, Father, is not the teaching and revelation that we are to call him Abba, Father. What causes people to really go to God as Abba Father is when they are filled with the spirit of sonship. When they are moving and led by the spirit of God. The Bible says those who are led by the spirit of God will be called sons of God. Hallelujah. So let me talk about right now three aspects of sonship. All right. Three aspects of sonship. Number one. Servants, they go out to do, 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 to work, 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 to perform, perform, perform. Sons, number one, they always take time to be with the father. If you look at the ministry of Jesus, after a long day of healing people and casting out demons and teaching and preaching and feeding the 5,000, Jesus would always steal away from the company of the apostles to go find a place alone and to pray. Why? It's because Jesus knew that his identity was first as a son. And sons, they're not obsessed with just doing the next day's work. Sons are obsessed with meeting with the Father. And being with the Father. And this is also how the anointing gets refilled in your life. You get refilled with the anointing. You see, anointing is like a commodity. Once you've used it and God has poured it out through you, once it's gone, it's gone. And you need to go get a refilling. And if you don't take time to get a refilling, the next time you do ministry, you're going to pay. Because you're going to be drawing out of the natural. Right? The anointing is a commodity. And the way you get refilled with the anointing is you got to spend time in His presence. you got to spend time there in worship and in prayer. you got to spend time there in brokenness, humility, nakedness, unashamedness before Him as a son. Sons find their identity and sense of worth in God's presence. You know, some of us, we grew up without the presence of our fathers in our lives. You know, my parents, they didn't get separated until I went to high school. When I was a freshman in the year in high school, my dad booked and went off with another lady. And then they got an official divorce when I was a freshman in college. But the thing was... Even when my dad was in the house, he wasn't there, if you all know what I mean. And the absence of his presence, 
I didn't realize how damaging it was to my life. Because although I, I knew I was a son, I didn't truly experience my identity and my sense of worth as a son because I lacked the father's presence. My father wasn't there. So there, there, I need to come through a healing process in college for me to be healed from that absence. And a lot of you in there, you're all sitting there, I'm okay, I'm alright. Come on, Christian, put me to work. I'll serve the Lord here. I'll lead worship. I'll preach. And I can serve the Lord. And I'm, I'm just looking at you and thinking, no, you're not. You need some healing, brother. Or the healing you've already received, sister, you need to take that healing deeper. Because the deeper you go, the deeper your, your resources will be. The deeper you can draw from to, to bring healing to others. And you're ignoring the fact that the absence of the father in your life really affected you and it damaged you. And until you really realize how damaging that was, you're not going to find the need to go out and get God's healing for it. You see, sons find their identity and sense of worth in the presence of the father. It's not enough just to know you have a father. You got to go spend time in his presence. The reason why I felt I got so much damage from my relationship with my father was because although I knew he was there and he slept upstairs and he slept in the bedroom near down the hallway, his presence was absent. He didn't take time to spend time with me. Or when I tried to spend time with him, you know, he said he was too busy for me. And in the same way, we got to spend time with the father. Sons spend time with the father. And once you get established in your identity as a son and your sense of worth, you get it from his presence, no matter what happens in the natural, it does not touch their sense of worth. Because it's already been established in the presence of God. You know, according to ministerial fruit, Jesus went into one town and he experienced an apparent failure. It was a town called Nazareth. It was his hometown. But the Bible does not say that after Nazareth, Jesus got really down on himself and went over and got depressed and needed about two weeks to recover. <laughs> As opposed to everyone who was on the Cambodia trip, we need like one month to recover. <laughs> Right? Jesus, Jesus didn't need to do that because he got a sense of worth from spending time in the presence. Workers, you see, they get a paycheck. Employees, servants, they get a paycheck. Sons, they don't get paychecks. Check this out. Justin, you're not supposed to just get what you deserve. Listen to me, son. You're not supposed to just get what you deserve. Because workers get paychecks. Sons, they get an inheritance. Hallelujah. Sons have access to grace. To gifts. To favor. Sons get to experience God's goodness. Jesus said, if you being wicked know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in Heaven give good gifts to those who ask? You don't get good gifts from the Father because you earn it or because you're being good and you're serving faithfully. You get it because you ask. You get it because it's your inheritance. 
You get it because it is your identity as a son. Hallelujah, man. That's a good message right here. In the story of the prodigal son, the older son says, when the, when the younger son returns, the older son says, man, you give, you give this wicked son of yours who went and squandered your wealth on all these prostitutes, you give him a fattened calf, but you never even gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. The father responds, all I have is yours. You see, the older son, he had access to an incredible inheritance. But because he only saw himself as a servant. Notice what he says in in that passage. He says, these many years I have served you. Because he was stuck on his identity as a servant and not a son. He failed to access his inheritance that was available to him the entire time he was in the house. Oh, this is good. You Asian Americans, we need this. Because it's not from slavery to servanthood, it's from slavery to sonship. And I think our ability and our accessibility to see more of the kingdom power and miracles and healings and supernatural signs and wonders, our ability to see more of that really is rooted in this teaching about sonship. Is all we are about is doing, 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 and performing, performing, performing. We are going to miss it. We are not going to access it. We're just going to think, Lord, I guess in order to see more kingdom power, I got to just work harder. So next time we go on missions, you just work harder, and you'll feel even more disappointed. Hallelujah. I'm still stuck on number one, huh? Uh, My time is out. All right. You know, I I preached some amazing messages in uh, in this West Papua trip. And not my words. Those words of my teammates. Uh, John was like, Pastor Christian, that was the best message I've ever heard you preach. And... I don't even know how I got the message. I got got a download like right away as I asked the Father, Lord, what are you doing here? What are you doing here at this church? Lord, I don't want to just bring a message that's been pre-prepared. Lord, Lord, I'm not here to spit out pre-written lyrics. I'm here to flow and freestyle rap. You know what I'm saying? You know, the rapper Jin, the reason why he was so successful in, um, uh, what was the show called? Freestyle Friday, right? The reason why he was so successful was he didn't depend on pre-written lyrics. He came in and he would just look at you and he would observe you and then he'll rap about you and put you down that way. That's how you're supposed to do it. And so when I was going into these churches, I was like, Lord, I don't, I don't bring the pre-written lyrics. I'll do it if you want me to use them. But Lord, what are you doing here? Show me what you're doing here. And then boom, I get this incredible message, and I just preach it. One time, I, I, I tried to preach one message, and the Lord said no, and I just started preaching another message, and it just wouldn't stop flowing. Hallelujah. And I believe that 
The reason why I was able to experience this incredible grace for uh, these messages and these preaching uh, was because I went out very intentionally as a son. See, in the past, whenever I've gone on mission trips, I found my greatest focus was on my ability to preach well and perform. And I derived my sense of worth out of it. So if I didn't preach well, I, I will feel bad afterwards. And if I preach really well, then I feel really good about myself. But all God wanted me to do was, whether I preach well or whether I preach badly, he just wanted me to preach what he wanted me to preach. So when I started to get that on this trip, I just would go out and I would not feel that anxiety of having to perform. I would just go out knowing that the Father was not going to diss me. So I went out as a son. And uh, the second thing that sons do is sons do what the Father is doing. Sons do what they see the Father doing. Romans 8.14 says, Those who are led by the Spirit of God are called sons of God. Right? When you're led by the Spirit of God, you're going to be led to do the things that the Father is doing. Jesus said, I don't do anything of my own. I do only that which I see the Father doing. So Jesus was demonstrating the way we're supposed to do ministry. He demonstrated for us while he was on the earth. And uh, I remember in the middle of the trip, that's the lesson God taught me through a book I was reading. And so I started really inquiring of the Lord, what are you doing in this church? What are you doing at this revival? What are you doing at this, with these youth, youth? And sometimes it will be really clear. This is what I'm doing. Preach on unforgiveness. And other times God will be kind of silent. And the way I dealt with it was whenever God showed me what to do, I just went out and did it. But whenever God was silent, what I would do is I would stare upon the nature of the Father and I would take initiative and intentionally reveal that nature to the people. So, for example, I had seen Randy Clark when I, when I went to uh, Baltimore in October for the Voice of the Apostles Conference. I noticed during his uh, videos, his missions videos, and during his ministry times throughout the conference that he would, he would heal people. Before almost every message, he would heal people. And so I saw that. And then when I came back, I tried doing the same thing at our services. And in the beginning, we didn't see too many you know, healings and stuff. We saw like maybe Daisy getting healed, that knee and stuff like that. We saw some healings here and there. But we didn't see too many. But, but what I saw in Randy Clark's ministry was a revelation of what the Father was doing. Like Randy had caught that revelation and he caught the nature of God's goodness and his, his willingness and wanting desire to heal. And he caught that and he had been doing that in his ministry. So when I got a glimpse of Randy's ministry, I got a glimpse of the Father's nature. And so the reason I believe that West Buffalo, we saw so many healings was almost every single revival service we did, we took time to pray for the sick. And almost every one of those times we pray for the sick... I didn't pray for the sick because the Holy Spirit was prophetically telling me, pray for the sick now. Pray for the sick. All right? I intentionally took initiative to stare upon the nature of the Father and then bring that revelation to the people. Wherever God was silent about that, whenever I say, Lord, should I pray for the sick here? And God would just be silent. I would just take that as God's invitation to reveal his heart to the people. And I'll tell you right now, every time we did that, every time we prayed for the sick, there was healings. 
Every time. Hallelujah. And that's what sons do. But you, you see, whenever we get stuck in an orphan spirit, whenever the father is silent, when we get into orphan spirit, we, we feel a sense of abandonment. The moment God is silent. We ask the Lord something, he, he's silent, and then we feel abandonment. That's the orphan spirit. We need to learn how to break out of that. And whenever people with that orphan spirit, they, they feel abandoned, they come in agreement with doubt. And then they start to push God's love and presence away. Because they don't want to set themselves up for disappointment. But you see, sons, they're not like that. Sons, whenever God is silent, they take that as an invitation to reveal the nature of the father or to give God creative input. You know, when Jesus said, I no longer call you servants. He went on and said, but I call you friends. Because servants don't know the master's business. But I reveal to you. You know, we are called friends of God. And friends, they talk to each other. They don't just take commands. They give input. And when you come into that intimacy of sonship, the greater intimacy you experience with God, you also enter into friendship with God. And there, when God is silent, you take that as an invitation. Well, Lord, here's what I think. I think we should pray for the sick. Well, what do you think? If God says okay, then you do it. If God's silent on it, well, Lord, I know your nature. So I'm just going to go out and pray for the sick. All right. Hallelujah. Number three. This was the big lesson that our West Papua team learned. Sons don't strive, but they simply represent the father and obey his voice. Sons don't strive, but they simply represent the father and obey his voice. So number one, sons take time to spend with the father. Two, sons do what the father does. And number three, sons don't strive.